Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. Open wide. There's good news for your pet's teeth. And in addition to that, it's called the Veterinary Giving Tree. And I'm such a proponent of this nonprofit organization. If there's any time of year to offer thanks and to talk about it, now is the time. Dr. Adam Christman is the Chief Veterinary Officer at DVM360 and is our secret Santa, or maybe not too secret, I'm not sure. Hello, Dr. Christman. Well, you know, when I, you're putting the Christman in Christmas, I think it's not a secret anymore. <laughs> <laughs> do, do people often call you Dr. Christmas? All the time, all the time, because I'm always this jovial guy. They're like, it's just perfect to call you Dr. Christmas. I'm like, go for it. <laughs> I bet you have played Santa at some point in your life. Steve, I have. So when I was full-time at my practice, I played it almost every year, um, and I loved it, you know, obviously. So much fun. I can yeah. see you doing that, and I can see you answering this question. Our most visits, let me back up one step. Uh, at Christmas or around that time of year, so many visits to the emergency centers are many, if not most of those visits avoidable. Yes. You know, they're, um, they're related to a- anything from the holidays, whether it be grandma accidentally giving them a little bit too much of this or that of turkey or ham or any of those things that are not necessarily poisonous, but certainly can cause significant GI upset. And then, of course, you have some of those things that, you know, the lights on the trees that the cat can get into and tinsel and poinsettias. And those are things, obviously, that are that are toxic and chocolate and so forth. All right. I want to talk about some of those things. So first off, let's talk about okay. tinsel. Tinsel, I think we, you and I ought to hop on a bus, go to see uh, President Joe Biden and yeah. say tinsel should be banned why am i saying that why is tinsel still a thing you know like i i i don't even know why why are we bringing it why do we have it i then it was like gone and now they brought it back but it's just nobody wins with tinsel let's just say okay so (laughs) it's just a very hazardous even to dogs by the way i had um a colleague that decided oh i love the texture and and ate all of it and was obstructed because she just, it was just completely dislodged in her stomach. So she had to have surgery. It didn't pass. It was just sticking there. But uh, of course, cats, as you know, Steve, they just love that. It's like, ooh, what's this shiny material? This is amazing. So yeah, can we just, can we get on a band? Can we, what do we need to do for this, Steve? I'm really quite serious um, about this because uh, it, it doesn't, there's no point to it. You can use regular no ribbons, I suppose. Uh, it's not yeah. as attractive, and uh, the pets are attracted to tinsel, and this means yeah. surgery very often. And I know of people whose animals have lost their lives as a result of swallowing yeah. tinsel. Yeah, so and to the listeners out there, like think about what tinsel, it's a, almost like a linear forearm body, and it can literally act like dental floss. And it can slice through these precious, soft, delicate, soft tissues of the gastrointestinal tract of cats. And when we go in there to surgically remove it, sometimes it's so bad that you're like, how much intestinal tract do I have to remove? And are they going to survive post-surgery? So absolutely right. Uh, it just, just should not even be a thing anymore. Now, I know how romantic you are. and, and you, oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 
See, he sounds like Santa, too. And and kiss, kissing under the mistletoe is something you do every single day. Sometimes every day. Yeah, every day. It's what you do. Uh, actually, every day. It's my vitamin. Mis- mistletoe is actually more dangerous, fresh mistletoe. Uh, than poinsettia, not that we want to encourage our pets to chomp on poinsettia, but tulips and mistletoe, and there are a variety of other plants as well. Those are the common ones at this time of year that that can cause a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And there are several types, believe it or not, of mistletoe that I'm terrible with genius and species names, but just be aware that... um, you know, the berries from that holiday plant, they contain polysaccharides and alkaloids and lectins. And if they're accidentally ingested by their pets, the mistletoe poisoning can really result in some mild signs of GI irritation, which I rarely, to be honest, I don't see. I see more of the severe side. I really do think that it is a doozy because uh, these animals come in with excessive drooling, vomiting, diarrhea. I try to do an abdominal palpation and, it, man, it just hurts to, to touch them there. Um, and even they say in large amounts, too, they can have something more like an arrhythmia. They can even be uh, hypotensive with low blood pressure, wobbly seizures, and even death reported. So good call. So if you really want to use the mistletoe, let's just fake it till you make it and use fake mistletoe. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you another question. It's a very personal question, Dr. Okay. Dr. Christmas. Uh, yeah. re- real Christmas tree or the artificial Christmas tree? Well, uh, I'm a big fan of the artificial, by the way, you know. Um, But did you know, too, that the real Christmas trees, like, there's not that many around in existence right now. Did you hear about that because of the fires over the summertime? Hmm. Um, And and they're expensive now, too. I know the prices for them. So, you know, let's keep it for real and um, talk about (laughs) artificial (laughs) trees. You see what I did there? But I I do think that, you know, because if you do have the real trees, uh, cats love to be in there, and some of those, uh, you know, needles can be uh, needles can be a real problem with them as well. Cats love to climb in the trees. They, you know, you tell a cat to go in a cat tree, but not in uh, a Christmas tree. They don't know the difference. So, you know, trying to guard that up, and then let alone the water that that they're drinking out of too could be equally toxic as well. So, overall, if you want to enjoy the holiday season, like an artificial Christmas tree could be just as great and vibrant, and you throw a couple little sprays of things to make it smell like balsam and whatever, pine needles, and you're good to go. But here's a problem with some of those sprays, and also potpourri. If you have a pet... Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what I'm going for. If you have a pet bird. Yeah. Talk about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, also, we should take a step back a little bit and talk about some of the diffusers that are out there as well, because those sure. uh, can be... Make the because remember think, think of the the nasal passages of our pets right I mean they live to smell that's what, if they if they smell for their food they smell for prey and hunting purposes and we put these uh, sprays in and so forth and potpourri or whatnot my goodness it's it it really can amplify and you know cause some damage of course to the nasal passages but also with um, our pets it could be a, a serious issue and yeah you're talking about burns right that uh, that's a big thing that can happen with them. Yes, absolutely. And birds have such sensitive respiratory systems that those yeah. aromas we find pleasant can actually kill a, a pet bird. Uh, you mentioned yeah. you, you mentioned chocolate very quickly. Uh, there is an artificial sweetener that might be in that mm. chocolate brownie mix that we definitely want to keep pets away from. 
Yeah, even the sugar-free gums too, xylitol is is what you're looking for to avoid. You know, you don't want to deal with that. And even um, I just I, last week, I literally had an owner that was showing me in the exam room uh, the peanut butter. I never heard of this brand, and I looked on the back. I'm like, oh no, it says xylitol right here. She's like, what is that? I said, it's super toxic to these guys. They can go into kidney failure. She had no idea. So please check with your veterinarian if you don't know about you know. Um, xylitol-free peanut butter if you want to use as a treat or to hide a pill in. But, um, yeah, xylitol overall around the holidays, just just no-go. Yeah, xylitol spelled with an X and Chrisman yeah. spelled with a capital C or, for today's conversation, Dr. Christmas. Uh, thank you, you know very it. Yes, thank you very much, and have a great and Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, Steve. From Peak Veterinary Consulting, Dr. Wendy Hauser is here. Dental care, I think, is overlooked because our pets don't tell us that there's something going on in my mouth. Sometimes they don't know it. It doesn't hurt yet at the beginning, so that's good. But then it does become painful. Talk about that. Thanks, Steve. Yes, our pets do tend to suffer in silence when they do have dental disease. Dental disease is very insidious. It it, kind of creeps along if we're talking about gum disease or, or periodontal disease. Now, obviously, they can have broken teeth, and that's a little bit more evident. Um... Because our pets are hardwired, dogs and cats, to hide illness, it's an evolutionary survival mechanism, they won't show us when they're in pain. And so pet owners have to look for subtle signs, such as um, maybe chewing just on one side of the mouth, maybe swallowing their food whole, maybe uh, licking the food up and tossing it in the back of their mouth. I have had owners who's Um, have cats, they've told me this is what they've observed. So changes in eating habits, um, changes in the speed of eating, changes in how they play with their toys. Do they not play with their toys? Do they not want to retrieve balls? And interestingly, um, I love teeth and I do some root canals. And so I had a client that had a pup I had seen for 12 years and she Uh, The dog needed a root canal. It had a broken tooth. Uh And she told me when she came in two weeks later that she really just thought her dog was waking her up every night because he was now a 12-year-old lab and just needed to get up, you know, kind of like a little old person, needed to get up and go to the bathroom. And ever since we did the root canal, he was sleeping through the night. Steve, he was waking up because his mouth hurt him. Right, right. You know, I've had, uh, I've talked to people whose dogs have complained to them or cats have yowled in the middle of the night because of pain. And they assume, sometimes it's because of an older animal, or they assume, oh, my dog or cat just wants to eat, or they assume my dog or cat just wants attention. And while those things sometimes may be true, what's going on often is dental pain. Yes. And so there are ways that owners can detect this. You know, changes in behavior is the first to watch for. And let's face it, who's the expert in the life of the pet? The pet parent. The owner, absolutely. And so watching for changes and not just chalking them up to aging or changes in life stages. Um, Other things would be doggy breath or bad breath in cats, Um, any bleeding that they're seeing on toys, um, those types of things. So just paying attention. Um, Doggy breath is not normal. That means that you've got bacteria that are growing in the mouth creating processes that are dissolving the gum tissue that hold the teeth in place. And sometimes that bacteria, over time, 
doesn't just stay in the mouth, does it? No, it actually, um, with more severe dental disease as it progresses, that allows the gums to be like little sponges because they're getting damaged and the bacteria from the oral cavity can get into the bloodstream and go to the heart, the liver, and the kidneys. So you see that the, not in, in addition to pain, um, it can actually have very poor effects on the length of the quality of a pet's life and certainly on the quality of a pet's life. And I'd argue sometimes even those subtle signs we're talking about don't happen. The pets and pain, but they are so adept at masking that there's no way you can tell. And you can't even tell by looking. Certainly the pet parent can't. Sometimes even the veterinarian can't because your eyes are good. You're, you're a superhero. You're a veterinarian, but you don't have x-ray eyes. Correct. So when periodontal disease or gum infection starts, it starts very quietly. The bacteria get under the lip of the gum and um, uh, in, a, in a little crevice between the tooth and the gum, and they flourish there. And they, the bacteria power their metabolism by creating a product that's called thiols. It's a sulfur-based compound. It's not normal in a pet's mouth. So there is a new diagnostic test that veterinarians can use and pet owners can get from their veterinarians to be able to see if thiols are present. So this is an early warning system. You can detect the presence of bacteria that are destroying gum tissue long before you can see it. The name of the test is Oristrip DX. Oristrip DX is what? So this is something the veterinarian or the veterinary professional does? Currently, yes, there will be a consumer-facing product later, um, probably about in the next year to 18 months. This will be available for pet owners to purchase directly um, so that they can, we know pet owners want to be empowered. Mm -hmm. The pandemic really drove that even more so than the trend that was beginning. So now they can take control of gauging when it's time to seek professional care. The test changes color from white to yellow. So it's a strip that just yep. simply, right now, the veterinary professional wipes on the gums, so it's Correct. no you, big thing. Yep. You swipe it, swipe it along the, where the gum and the mm -hmm. tooth meet, and literally from um, the upper outer cheek teeth. So swipe, swipe, and in less than 10 seconds, you will know if there's a color change. So the actual strip changes color? It does. The and it doesn't there's a mean pad the on the dog strip. is pregnant or anything like that? Nope, nope. nope. Just think of it like a litmus test or uh -huh. a, a chemical test for the pool or even a COVID test. You know how you get your changes of oh, colors. Right, right. But idea. it's not a bar. The whole yeah. pad will change color. And it changes to yellow, potentially. Yes. Uh, what if it doesn't change color? What does that mean? A-okay, it's all clear. Yeah, it means right now you're lucky, right? Okay. Um, we know that... Uh, by age two, eighty. By age two, eighty percent of pets will develop periodontal disease. Well, some pet parents are better than I. They brush their pet's teeth, and they use products that can really, really help, yes. like additives to the water and all those yep. things we've talked about on this show. But that's not the case for everybody. So if it does turn yellow. Then what happens? Then we recommend that you do consult your, with your veterinarian to do a little bit more significant, a uh, little deeper examination, um, and make sure that it's not time for a professional cleaning under anesthesia. Which it might be. It may, and it may be, and it may be that you just need to step up your home care or start home care. Mm -hmm. Since 1988, I've consistently brushed whatever dogs at plus one cat 
happen to be in the household with me every single day. It's really easy to do. I sent an implementation um, suggestion by leaving the toothbrush on the side of my sink. And every morning when I brush my teeth, I brush the pet's teeth. You're wonderful then. But the reality is that most pet parents just aren't going to do, even veterinary dentists admit that, okay, most people aren't going to do that no matter what I tell them to do. You're right. It's easy. But it doesn't mean people do it. It doesn't. But I think with the more empowered younger generation of pet owners that we have, I do believe that they want to be much more proactive and see the value in it. I once had my, actually my, my receptionist's husband said, this is the last dental cleaning my dog will ever get. And he bought an electric toothbrush and he brushed the dog's teeth every morning. And that was a terrier cross. And guess what, Steve? It worked. That dog never needed another professional cleaning. That's wonderful. Yeah. So, so I do very much advocate home care and I do advocate staying on top of dental disease because it's such a hidden disease. Yep. Wendy Hauser, it is always good to see you. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure. Next week, I am so excited about this. You know, this has become a yearly tradition for us to talk with this inspirational veterinarian and inspirational for a variety of reasons. And some of those reasons are very personal to him, but he is happy to talk about it, happy to talk about how he was given a diagnosis that was thought to be fatal several years ago. They said that, well, maybe you'll make it a year, Dr. Goldstein. He's still here. And I promised him, I said, every year you are here, we will have you on the radio. And then he said, well, to talk with you, Steve, on the radio, I've got to be around another 25 years. Well, maybe that's not exactly what he said. He's also a veterinarian who's done everything. Yeah, he's been a zoo veterinarian at a major zoo, a shelter veterinarian, major shelter. He has taken care of dogs and cats and fish and birds and all sorts of pets, and he focused for a time in his career on cancer. Yeah, not many veterinarians have done it all like him. Dr. Mark Goldstein here next week. I think it's safe to say Becky Mosser has become a very good personal friend of mine, and I am so proud of what you've done, Becky, a veterinary industry giving tree. During the pandemic, I received a call from you, and you said, I have an idea. What did I call you in a story? I called you the bright light that always shines or something like that. Do you remember? I don't remember exactly, but it was lovely. Um, I'm not sure if it was true, but it was lovely. And I always appreciate it. No, 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 no. It is so true. So tell us about what the veterinary industry giving tree is and when you came up with the idea. So back in 2020, things were just so bleak. And um, a lot of the veterinary community was facing hardships, just having to leave the profession to take care of family, whether they were mitigating risk with high-risk individuals living in their homes. You know, for a lot of different reasons, um, folks in the industry maybe lost their jobs or were not working as much or were just in some way going through a hard time on top of the normal hard times that we face on a day-to-day without a whole pandemic. So the Giving Tree was... um, organized as a way to have a place to collect donations and then nominations for individuals within our industry who just need a little love and light and financial assistance during the winter holiday season. After that first season in 2020, when we got the feedback from people who were so um, 
appreciative of a place to give to their industry. And then, of course, the need out there in the industry, it was a no-brainer to keep that one going. And, and that's where it started. Well, you know what, uh, Becky, I want to talk about where the money goes specifically in a minute, but something people may not be aware of, and that is the suicide rate and the rate of depression sort of on the verge of suicide in the veterinary industry is number one, unfortunately, among all medical fields. I, I don't know that people are generally aware, and I don't know why. You're you're in the industry. Tell me why you think that is the case and how also the veterinary uh, industry giving tree has helped with that as well. Well, I boy, I really hope it has just in, in any way. But yeah, you know, frustratingly, we see statistics um, that come from, you know, places like the CDC and, um, you know, the AVMA that say female veterinarians are, are almost two and a half times as likely as the general population to commit suicide. Male technicians or, or, or um, veterinarians and, and technicians is five times higher. So it's just really um, in, in, in depressing, <laughs> literally numbers. But I think a lot of that is just we're an incredibly um, sensitive group of individuals. We uh, run on empathy. We work with patients who can't speak to us, right? And so we have to be very in touch with our instincts and our senses in order to do our jobs. And I think that does carry over to being very in touch with emotions in general. And they're not always great. And in the veterinary industry, we stumble through working on our patients with the limitations provided in front of us, whether they're monetary because of the owner, they might be morals or values based on the owner. You know, some people feel like euthanizing their dog is cruel and would rather let them die naturally. And that can be difficult for us versus some people want to euthanize pets when they're not ready, and we have to juggle yeah. that. Yeah, I think on the other side of that, in, in that same pipeline, we deal a lot with death, and we bring a lot of comfort to our patients through death. And so sometimes I think we have a little bit of skewed perception and, and a very close relationship with death and, and passing comfortably. And so I think when people in the industry feel as though they are suffering and that their quality of life is poor, we carry over the same morals and values we do for pets, which is nobody should suffer through life. And so I think that the veterinary industry is a way of individuals relieving a little bit of suffering because financial suffering is one of the primary for, I think, just about anybody, right? We know it's one of the number one reasons people get divorced. It's one of the number one people feel stressed and depressed. So if we can relieve some of that, especially at a time of year where emotions are very high, it can be a difficult time in the industry and sometimes just being seen and just knowing that there's somebody there to help and not feeling hopeless and dead end can mean the world and and hopefully that's what the giving tree does for our industry well and there are people who uh in any industry including the veterinary industry first of all technicians and nurses i i don't think people realize how little uh, this group which you are among make as far as uh income for on average, and veterinarians are doing better than before, uh, but still not. And it's very difficult when you're out of school and you have all those loans. I forget what the average number is you might know of loans that uh, veterinarians instantly out of school they owe a vet school on average. It's it's tough, you know. It's not what I don't think it's what the public thinks. No, I mean, I think just in general, the public thinks veterinary medicine 
um, is puppies and kittens. <laughs> you know, we talk about that all the time. Um, I think the, the last numbers that were out in 2020, the average vet student debt was almost $189,000. Um, and so a lot of veterinarians, uh, new veterinary graduates, go enter the industry knowing that they will pay for their education their entire career. And can you imagine the feeling on that and how difficult that and, and frustrating that might be? Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of debt. It's not just all puppies and kittens like a lot of people think that it is. Um, sometimes people don't even realize that medicine is, is our primary field, right? Animals are second. Um, just like any other medical profession, we practice medicine. It just happens to be that we do it on animals. All right. We're going to hear some examples, really touching examples, about what the veterinary industry giving tree, how this nonprofit... Check it out, a legit nonprofit that you began, my friend, has made a difference in life after life after life after life. And it all began with you. I hope you're proud of, of what you began. And also, I want to talk about what you do. You are a veterinary technician. What does that mean exactly? And you're about to have a new gig as president of the National Association of Veterinary Technicians in America. Yes, she's all-American. Becky Mosser is here, and we will talk more when we come back on WGN. Becky Mosser is the incoming president, which means she probably gets Secret Service and everything else, of the National Association of Veterinary Technicians in America, otherwise known as NAFTA. Did I get the acronym correct there, Becky? You did. You absolutely did. Okay. So I've been practicing for years. I want to talk about that. But first, let's go back to the Veterinary Industry Giving Tree, this nonprofit that you set up. Give us some examples, just a few, because you could go on forever here. But give us some examples of the difference this nonprofit has made in lives. Yeah, well, and I don't want to go any further without giving recognition to Crystal Vigera and Lily Preston, both who kind of jumped off this cliff with me in creating the Giving Tree and making sure that, um, you know, my T's are crossed and my I's are dotted. So it is a team effort, and we've been able to help over, I would say right now we're at about almost 100 individuals or families during holiday seasons over the last three giving seasons. Um, with a total of about $20,000 we've raised in donations. Some of the stories we hear are veterinary professionals who are working full-time while taking care of, one, um, taking care of her husband who has been recently diagnosed with a brain tumor. So she was a full-time caretaker plus a mom plus a veterinary technician and um, was struggling as her husband was out of work. They were down to one income, not to mention just sort of the day-to-day stress that goes with caretaking and the fear, right, of, of your husband, your spouse, your significant other being really sick. We, um, our very first year, had a veterinary technician who had been diagnosed with cancer. And because it was during COVID, she had to quarantine before chemotherapy and after chemotherapy. Veteran, or, um, you know, insurance, health insurance doesn't cover the hotel costs for her to have to stay near the cancer center um, and be in quarantine just to go receive her life-saving treatment. Um, she was one of the most impactful because when she received her check, she sent us a picture of a grocery basket full of groceries. Hmm. And her her food budget was about $11 for that week, she said, prior to receiving the funds that we sent her. 
And um, because we had sent her the funds and when she received them, she was able to purchase an entire basket of healthy groceries. And I think, you know, um, that's nutrition is obviously an important part of everybody's life, let alone when you are fighting an immune, uh, devastatingly immune destroying cancer treatment like chemotherapy nutrition in your health is is essential to literally being alive and um you can't be having great nutrition on eleven dollars and i think what really strikes me and and keeps me very humble is i'm not sending these folks earth-shattering amounts of money right they're getting a couple hundred dollars at most but it is earth-shattering for them and i think about the things i've spent a hundred or two hundred dollars on without even thinking really twice about it you know how how quickly i can spend that kind of money in very casual ways and how lucky i am to do that where some folks are trying to stretch eleven dollars for a budget for food for a week and that is where the giving tree is trying to make connections to those that have a little something extra to give and those that are giving all that they have and need a little bit to fill their cup well put and uh Again, you've made a difference. You just offered a couple of examples, but I happen to know uh, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of these examples. As you said, you're at about 100 people. You just had a fundraiser at the Convention of the American Veterinary Medical Association that I understand went very, very well for you. You've touched on a nerve and a need, and that must feel good. How much – I asked you earlier, but I – I don't know that I let you answer. Maybe you don't know the exact answer, but do you know how much the average veterinary technician or nurse makes? So I I would have to double check with the numbers. I want to say we're somewhere around $17 an hour um, on average, which is not considered a living wage in America. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, and honestly, I still know a lot of technicians who would love to make $17 an hour who are making more between 10 and 12 which is, uh, you know, less than fields where there is no extended education required, um, such as many of the service fields. Um, many entry-level positions are making more money than our professionally trained veterinary technicians. And it's complicated because if somehow, some way, more money is charged uh, to us then maybe us, your average pet parent, wouldn't be seeing the veterinarian as often as necessary. So I I don't know the answer to all this, but I do know this. Uh, veterinary technicians and nurses, you said that's average, which means there are people making way below that. And that is more than a bit unfortunate. And that comes, I mean, technicians and nurses go to school too. They have to pay back loans as well. We're not talking about the kind that veterinarians need to pay back, but it is significant and really significant if you have a growing family and if you say just purchase the house and if you have bills to pay and if you are only making $17 maybe an hour. So it's it's tough and it's tougher for some than others and you're out there helping some. How can people contribute or at least learn more about the veterinary industry giving tree? Oh my gosh, you know, first I want to say um, you mentioned the the um, really successful reception we had. I want to make sure that I give all the things in the world to Catherine Haskins with the Bridge Club, um, Vetcetera for sponsoring the event, and Chewy Animal Health for matching donations up to $5,000. People can learn more by going to our website at veterinaryindustrygivingtree.com. 
You can also find us on Facebook, of course, at Veterinary Industry Giving Tree, where we try to build a social media a story and connection with the folks that are out there giving as well as those that are receiving so that donors have an opportunity to see where their money goes, make a connection with the folks that they're helping. Yeah, and as you know, I felt terrible about not personally about not being able to be there because my flight was when my flight was and there was just not enough time in denver at the convention of the american veterinary medical association to be there but i know that you're yeah vet cetera uh the bridge club and uh uh who else uh chewy uh chewy yeah all made this well, possible we of course appreciated your million dollar pledge that you <laughs> guaranteed uh that what? you would be sending over for us so you know we're really banking on that and thank you for that i wish i could becky but <laughs> i did send something as you may or may not know so let us talk about you uh the, the president of the national association of veterinary technicians in america what is this organization well, I am president-elect. I've got one more year to serve as president-elect for the National Association of Veterinary Technicians. And, you know, we are the national organization representing veterinary technicians. And you've used two different terms, um, veterinary technician and veterinary nurse, here in North Carolina, or here in North Carolina where I live, as well as North America where most of us live. Um, we are recognized legally as veterinary technicians. In other countries, um, in some other places, they are referred to as veterinary nurse. Within the United States, there's been a motion um, and a movement to recognize the title of veterinary nurse in a place of veterinary technician, but it's not yet legally recognized. And so I generally refer to our profession on, as veterinary technicians because legally that's what we are right now. The reason that we use the title veterinary nurse and look to that is because that is what veterinary technicians do. We nurse our patients. So very similar to the nurses that folks encounter on a day-to-day. In all of the different areas of medicine, veterinary technicians represent the animal field, and so we perform everything from radiology to dentistry to phlebotomy to surgery and take care of your pets. I think the biggest thing <laughs> NASA serves to do is to try to help bring public awareness while supporting veterinary technicians across the country. A lot of folks don't realize that in some states there is no formal training required for a veterinary professional to perform anesthesia or to practice medicine on your pet. And so NASA works very hard to bring public awareness to the credentialed veterinary technician, one who has gone to school, earned a degree, maintains continuing education, and serves their profession as a profession, not just as a role within the cl- in the clinic. So I've been lately kind of pushing the hashtag, we're a profession, not a position within the clinic. And nice. so I'd love for folks to learn more about the staff that are working in the clinic they bring their pets to and ask about their credentialing and their education. And NASA works really hard to represent so that group of individuals and to be the voice among veterinary professionals where we're a part of the team. Excellent. Well, you have been a great part of the team of the profession, the veterinary profession, for quite some time. Congratulations on everything. Veterinary Industry Giving Tree is the nonprofit that we spoke about. Becky Mosser, thank you so much. Steve Dale, thanks so much for having us and spreading awareness. Longtime listeners of this program know I had a cat named Ricky, a little Devon Rex cat who played the piano. 
That's right. And he did all sorts of other things. If he had hula hoops, he could jump through them one after another after another. If you have little kids that could lay down and lay down for 10 seconds at a time, he could jump through one, not through, but over one and then another and another. An amazing cat. And television at that time, and this was way before YouTube, television then said, oh, this is so novel. I mean, a cat that plays the piano and could do all these other things. This is amazing. He could even come when called. And I had an extraordinary bond with this cat. But at some point in time, he was diagnosed with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, the most common heart disease in cats. And at some point after that, only a year later, he was only two and a half years old. He suddenly died, just dropped right there. And that's what happens sometimes with these cats with feline hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is very common. Other cats suffer what's called a thromboembolism. It's like a stroke-like event, and it happens over and over and over. It's very painful. They lose, for a time, use of their back legs or a leg, and then they can be brought back around, but they have to go to the ER every time. That gets so expensive, they're in so much pain, and ultimately these cats worsen and they're euthanized. Other cats go into heart failure, and those cats, there's no coming back. Once you go into heart failure, it's just a matter of keeping the cat comfortable for a time. Not very long time, but for a time. So, now there's a solution. This is amazing. I mean, there's a drug company called Trivium Vet that has come up with a medication. We will talk more about this next year, I promise. I'm very excited. See you next week, bright and early on WGN.